Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features the first three episodes of Tarzan. Each episode is only about ten minutes long. They first aired in 1951. Tarzan of the Apes, a character of Edgar Rice Burroughs' famous book, in reality is the son of a titled English couple, Lord and Lady Greystoke, who were put ashore by a mutinous crew in the jungles of West Africa. The maroon couple were left with tools and firearms, and Tarzan's mother and father built the little hut in which Tarzan is born a year afterwards. It's the night of their little son's first birthday. Lord and Lady Greystoke are sitting in their rude but strongly built home. Around them lies the jungle, dark, mysterious, teeming with great sinister shapes, mocking with dreadful quiet through the night. The roar of a lion tells that the mighty monarch of the forest has made its kill. And from farther away can be heard the hideous laughing cry of the hyenas, echoing the lion's ponderous roar. The wind rustles the leaves of the trees outside. Both are startled. What's that, John? Yes. Yes. I heard it, too. Oh, Oh, it's only the wind in the trees, dear. It it gave me rather a start. It did me, too, for a moment. Silly as though, Father. Nothing short of a herd of elephants could force its way in here. I confess a bit of pride. This place is built like a vault. Oh, John, I know we're safe enough, but sometimes I don't think I can stand it a moment longer. It's, it's the night. They're dreadful. There. There, that's what I mean. All night long, the jungle seems to threaten us. And those hyenas. Oh, that hideous cry of theirs. The laugh of a maniac. They seem to be jeering at us. You know, someday, someday they... Now, Alice, get hold of yourself. You can't let go this way. You'll go mad. You have to hold tight, dear, for him. For him. Oh, he's a year old today, John. Yes, a year old and as sound as a nut. Sleeps through gunshots and everything. He's a darling, isn't he, John? And the picture of you. Nothing of the sort. He looks exactly like you. Oh, Oh, yes, he does, dear. Why, he has your eyes and that sweet little smile of his. Why, that's exactly like you, dear. He can't get I'll pop the leg of the lantern. Oh, 
Oh, I put that one right down his throat. Another one will settle him. There, that finishes the liar. It's all over, dear. Why, he's as dead as a door now. Don't be frightened. Oh, John. I'm sorry to go to pieces this way. Really, I am, but... You know, the last few days... I've had a terrible premonition that something would happen. It's all silly, I know, but... Oh, I can't escape this dreadful feeling. You're just nervous, that's all. Why, any day now we'll wake up and find a boat in the bay. And you and I and the little chap there will go sailing back to England. Oh, it's been two years now, and there's been no boat. Two terrible years, John. Why, Alice, I, I can't understand this in you at all. Oh, buck up, my girl. Don't let it get you this way. Oh, I'm sorry, John. It's like a terrible threat hanging over. Listen to the jungle now. Why, there isn't a sound. No. That shot quieted them for a little while. But the silences are the worst of all. The silence means that something awful and dreadful is passing through the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> silence is broken for you. A panther. Oh, John. I hate to show the white feather like this. And I shan't do it again. Now, there, that's a promise. White feather? Oh, why, <laughs> rot. You've been marvelous, Alice. This infernal jungle is bound to get you once in a while. Come on, kiss me and forget it. Gladly, <laughs> sir. John. Which one of our neighbors is that? A boy. It's the apes I hate worst of all. They're so human and yet so far from human. Those long, powerful arms, their awkward gait and the terrific speed in which they swing and leap from branch to branch. They are nasty beggars. That one you shot yesterday. Oh, those nasty, close-set eyes and yellow fangs. Come on now. <laughs> Forget it. Again, the cry of a huge bull ape. A brutish creature of terrible strength and awful temper. The ape has suddenly gone mad. Raging, foaming mad with that peculiar madness which suddenly seizes bull apes and quickly passes. He's running rampant among his people. The younger and lighter apes are scampering to the highest branches. Kayla, a young female, comes into the clearing. Her baby is clinging to her neck. She doesn't know. She doesn't know that Bolat has gone into one of his terrible rages. Bolat fights her. The others yell hoarse cries of warning. He's bearing down on her. She leaps from branch to branch. He has her by the ankle. She breaks loose. Up the tree. She goes Bolat behind her. She makes a horrific leap to another tree. She, she makes it. The jaw tears her baby's grip loose from its mother's neck. It falls. Falls to the ground with a thud. Bolat's roaring goes fainter, fainter, as he hurls his powerful body through the trees. That bull ape is certainly doing a lot of boasting tonight. He, he sounds very close, 
John. Oh, he's miles away. Those bull apes have tremendous lung power. This is John. Yes. John, it's getting a little cold. I think perhaps we'd better build a small fire. Baby sneezed this morning. All right. I want to go out and drag that lion into the shed anyway before the hyenas get at the skin. John, have you noticed how deathly still the jungle has suddenly become? Mm, just a lull. Uh, where's the axe? Over there in the corner. Just a few sticks will do, John. Just enough to keep the chill off. Right, oh. Be back in a second. Aren't you going to take your rifle? Oh, I hardly need it. Just going out to the shed. I'll leave the door open. The light will keep any animals away. All right. You know, every time I open the latch on this door, I'm impressed with myself. <laughs> well, it's quite an invention, Alice. <laughs> yes, dear. Uh, I have admired it before. Oh, no. Now run along and get the wood. Yes, all right, dear. <laughs> The sound of Greystoke's axe echoes through the strangely silent jungle. Greystoke doesn't notice the fearful tenseness of the silence. The jungle is cringing, cringing away from a monstrous shadow which moves ominously through the hushed and fearful night. A huge ape comes to the clearing. It is Borat, the crazed derelict of the jungle. He halts. His insane, bloodshot eyes catch sight of the unsuspecting Greystoke. They gleam hatred from beneath his shaggy brows. He pairs his fangs as though in a horrid snarl, but no sound comes from his great throat. Slowly, noiselessly, the 350 pounds of stifled rage moves across the clearing. Bolt upright, his mighty arms dangling loose at his side. A shadow falls across the log which Greystoke is chopping. He looks up into the beastly, snarling face of the brute. The ape makes a lunge at Greystoke. Ah! And closes the door. Greystoke raises his axe, brings it down with terrific force. The ape catches the axe in his terrible hands and flings it from him. With bared fangs, he leaps at Greystoke. We continue with Edgar Rice Burroughs' famous story... Tarzan of the Apes. Greystoke throws himself flat on his face. The ape lunges past. Greystoke regains his feet. The ape is faster. Greystoke is running for the hut. The great ape in one powerful leap cuts him off. It's too late. Those horrible hairy hands are reaching for him. Greystoke turns. His face is a horrible mask of terror. He looks into those inflamed, raging eyes. All that voices a terrible cry. A cry dreadful to hear. He springs. The man crushes his fist into the hairy face. It serves only to infuriate the brute. The huge mouth of the ape opens. His yellow fangs dream. Greystoke struggles futilely to escape the mighty clutch. A hot fetid dragon in the bull ape is on the man's face. It's the end. the end. There's no chance now. A shot. From where? The great ape screams with pain. Slowly the great body sags until it drops on all fours. Motionless. Greystoke watches the flame go out of the great beast's eyes. With a sighing grunt, the great man-beast of the forest topples over dead. Its jaws fall open. Its eyes grow cold, glazed. For a moment, Greystoke stands in frozen horror and wonderment. 
Then slowly realization dawns on him. His wife had shot the brute. He whirls and staggers to the cabin. Alice. Alice. It's all right, dear. You shot him. Oh, Alice. Where's the water? Where's the water? It was gone. There, darling, there. Everything is all right. It's all over, dear. I'm safe. And the brute is dead. Oh, the beast, the beast. Now, steady now. Everything is all right. He's dead, dear. Uh, Don't get excited. Relax, Alice. You're a little hysterical, that's all. Just a little hysterical. While Greystoke is trying to soothe his wife, miles away from the little hut on the seashore, the death cry of Bolat came to the keen ears of the ape tribe. Some of the apes are grubbing at the roots of trees. Young are tumbling over each other in the clearing. Some are swinging indolently from branch to branch in search of fruit. The cry reaches their ears. All pause. All are silent for a moment. They recognize the death cry of one of their kind. As though one accord, they gather in the clearing. The females and young chatter excitedly. The males grumble. The hair on the back of their squat, powerful necks bristles. They hold a chaotic conference. One giant beast assumes command. He is Kerchak. Another male of huge proportion disputes him. In a few moments, one of the two bestial half-men will be the ruler. The other will be a torn and battered victim. Two contestants stand facing each other. The tribe makes a great circle. The greater of the apes emits a fearful cry which echoes through the jungle to silence all within hearing distance with its ferocity. It is a challenge. With a snarl of rage and hatred, the smaller one hurls himself upon his opponent, burying his fangs deep into the other's shoulder. With a cry of rage and maddening pain, the greater ape smashes the other in the face with his open hand. Without a pause, without mercy, he's upon him again, fighting for a hold. The smaller ape is more agile. He eludes for a moment, but only for a moment. He's upon him again. Again, the smaller ape side steps him out with a savage blow. The greater ape catches his arm, breaks it with a snap. Howling with pain, the smaller ape turns to stand the other brute's charge. He knows it'll be his last. He's still on his feet, only by the intensity of his dogged animal will. Triumphant, snarling, horrible to see... The brute advances. The others attack a strudel against him. The fighting arms affect him not at all. With a roar, the great beast is upon him again. Gasping, he seeks to defeat. The victor picks up the battered form and hurls it to the earth again and again and again. Then, satisfied, he voices his cry of victory, telling the jungle that he is the ruler of the tribe. No one disputes his claim. The rest of the tribe resume their chattering. The new ruler is issuing his first command. He gestures, grumbles. They all understand and take to the trees after him. As he starts off through the jungle on his way, from whence came the dying cry of Bolat. And in the little hut that Lord and Lady Greystoke built, we find that Alice has recovered from her fright. Oh, John, John, you're alive. But it's only good fortune that you are. That was a lucky shot. Well, that was a good shot. Whether from good luck or good marksmanship. Oh, how I hate the jungle. Oh, now, Alan. That probably won't happen again in a million years. But it is the first time one of those beggars has even really attacked us, you know. Yes, I know. 
But I'm so tired of being afraid. And I'm even more fearful since the baby came. No, hush, dear. As long as we're in the hut, we're safe. It was foolish of me not to have taken my rifle when I went out. I'll be more careful after this. And there won't be a thing for you to worry about, dear. Not a thing. John, dear, will you please see what's the matter with you? Right, though. What is it, lad? Any complaints to make? Is he covered up? To the eyes. Oh, I see. He's sleeping on that wooden doll I made for him. And he finds it jolly uncomfortable, too. There. How's that? Fine. <laughs> now go to sleep and let me hear no more out of you. Oh, is that so? Well, tell me about it in the morning. <laughs> John, have you ever wondered what the baby will be like when he grows up? Very much like any other English boy, I imagine. Oh, no, he won't. Not living in the jungle all his life. <laughs> Nonsense, dear. He isn't going to live in the jungle all his life. Why, long before it's time for him to go to school, we'll be picked up. It's only a matter of time. Two years. And not even a sight of a ship. No. I'm afraid that your optimism is commencing to ring a little false. <laughs> Nonsense. You're just upset after what's happened tonight, that's all. But even if we were doomed to stay here forever, it isn't so bad, you know. We've plenty to eat and we're comfortable. Yes, I know. But it's always living in fear of the jungle. However, there's no use hopping on it, is there? No, of course not. Try to forget about it. Yes. Yes, I must. Would you mind closing the door? Mm, Righto. When Greystoke stepped to the door, the door he was never to close, he came face to face with a tribe of brutish, hairy figures. Oh. Alice! Alice! My rifle! Quick! In an agony of haste, John tried to close the door in the face of the great apes, but they thrust it open without effort and stood for a moment, blinking in the light. Alice! The rifle! Hurry! On the table! Don't come there! Throw it! No! Don't, don't bring it! Throw it! I can catch it! One great opie travels over dead. Oh. The other, maddened with fright and rage, surge into the room, overturning tables and chairs. The gun is wrenched from Greystoke's hand. An ape is peering into the crib. A feeble cry is heard. Kayla, the great female ape who still clutches the body of her dead baby to her breast, lets out a cry. She drops her baby into the crib and snatches the human baby. Clutching little Lord Greystoke to her shaggy breast, she huddles with him in the corner, protecting him from the fury of the tribe as they demolish the contents of the hut. Hours later, the cabin was silent. The jungle had taken its toll. Kayla, the great she-ape, departing, bears alive and wailing the little son of Lord and Lady Greystoke into the jungle fastness, where a strange destiny awaits this boy, who will become the mighty Tarzan of the Apes. Tarzan of the Apes, brought to you out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' famous book. Tarzan lies unconscious on the ground. Sabor sees a lithe, hairless body in eight and motionless before her. Crouching, snarling, her lean haunches gather beneath her, her back arches for the spring, her jaws gaping to reveal her yellow fangs. Merciless hatred for the thing which lies so helpless in front of her gleams from baleful, yellowish eyes. Poised, tense, Crouched for the leap, 
The lioness waits for some movement, some motion which will send her hurling upon her victim. There is a moment of silence, a tense moment, a moment in which furious death waits to execute its grim mission. Boys, waiting. Slowly, Sabor's animal brain connects the presence of her cub with Tarzan. Hister was devouring the cub. Tarzan fought Hister. The cub is safe. Slowly, suspiciously, the great beast relaxes. The hair on her short mane gradually lies down, and her tense haunches straighten. Slowly, very slowly, she advances toward Tarzan's limp body. Snarling deep in her throat, she stops. Showing this strange creature lying so still before her, the deference appears. Cautious, ever ready to crush the life out of the thing with a mighty paw, should it move, she advances closer and closer, step by step. Her sharp, pungent breath is hot on Tarzan's neck. They won't sniff. The thing has a strange scent. Not the scent of an ape. Tabor is touched. Tarzan stirs. Moans a little in his unconsciousness. Tabor leaps back, snarling. Her powerful ball raised to crush the head of that strange creature. Slowly she puts her foot back on the ground, circles Tarzan, and without further ado, trots away, urging her cubs before her. Sabor, the merciless killer, the fears, the dreaded, Sabor, the beast, has learned gratitude. Tarzan lies unconscious. The fall would have been sufficient to kill an ordinary man, but Tarzan breathes. The jungle sun sinks lower and lower. Suddenly there is no day. Dank, steaming mist arises from the ground and drifts in great clouds through the forest like ghosts of massive monsters returned from some primitive jungle of eons before. Tarzan still does not move. He lies easy prey to the savage beasts of the jungle, the deadly insects, Sleeping leopards, the murderous gorillas, and worst of all, the snake, Hista. The silent, cold, crushing, slithering death. The moon comes up, making the jungle a wilderness of tall shadows, growing in a myriad of puddles of moonlight. The jungle becomes replete with sounds. The whimpering cry of the lemurs, the weird laughter of the hyenas at the water hole, the roar of Numa, the lion, walking in imperial disdain, heralding his approach to the waterhole. A cold, dead weight is slowly coiling itself around Tarzan's body. Its heavy, gliding pressure stirs him. With a growl of anger, Tarzan regains consciousness. The small steamer, bearing our passengers and the mutinous crew, steams down the golden path laid by the moon off the sea on the West African coast. The same moon which shines down upon the inner Tarzan, his cousin Clayton could see if he chose to look through a porthole of the ship's salon. How closely related, and yet how far removed these two. Tarzan, the ape-man, and William Cecil Clayton. The four in the salon, Jane and Professor Porter, Clayton and the captain, discovered that they locked in. The crew was mutinied. Newton, the seaman, has informed the captain. Newton leaves. A scream is heard. It's his. Grabbing the two automatics, the captain and Clayton rush to the door. It's locked. We're barred in. No. What are they doing to that poor man? Everything will be all right. I'm afraid it won't be all right. This is mutiny. We can't stand here and let them torture that man this way. Open the door. Open it. You hear that? I won't stop it. I can't stand here and listen to that. I'm going to try and shoot the latch off the door. 
You'll do nothing of the sort. I'm captain here, and as long as I am captain, I'll be obeyed. Understand that. We've a devilish grave situation. This is mutiny. If I can get them to open that door of their own will, we have a chance. If I can't, we're better off in here. I suggest, Mr. Clayton, that you leave the matter entirely in the captain's hands. Oh, sorry, Captain. Not at all. Miss Porter. Yes, Captain. You will find in the top drawer of my desk a small jade green bottle. Its contents are deadly. I hope it proves to be a souvenir of an unsuccessful mutiny. You don't think, Captain, this will be necessary? This crew is the scum of Port Set. And Port Set, my dear Clayton, well, you've seen it. I found the bottle, Captain. Thank you. Uh, isn't there some way that we can placate these mutineers, Captain? If it's money, why, I have a little... And I have a great deal. If you can buy them off. If they take the ship, everything on it is theirs anyway. Yaunt, my first mate, is in back of this. And Yaunt is no fool. Uh, rather an intelligent fellow, in fact. Uh, I've had several conversations with him. Seems rather interested in archaeology. You stand away from the door, Miss Porter. Thank you. Mr. Yaunt. Mr. Yaunt, do you hear me? Yaunt. Yeah, I heard you, Captain. Come here and unlock this door. And get shot down. Oh, thank you, Captain. Pull them through our Turn your chest out the port first. Are you pleased to order me, Miss Leont? You'll lose your papers for this. <laughs> My papers? You're on the high seas now, Skipper. Not at the Admiralty. My papers? They've been changed, Tracy. They're captain's papers now. You are mad. This is mutiny. Do you realize what that means? Yes, and you'd better realize, too. Throw up those automatics on the deck. I'm not asking you... I'm telling you. And I'm telling you, Mr. Yacht, that I'll see the ship run aground in Hades before I'll take orders from you. Yeah? Now we'll twist the bloody arms off your nosy man Newton here and throw him over the side. If those guns aren't thrown up on the deck in exactly one minute. Oh! No, no, sir. No, no, please. No, oh, Captain, throw them out, please. Please, please throw them out. Oh, oh, there goes mine. All right. Where's the other one? I, I guess... I guess they've got us there. Did you take the clip out of that automatic before you chucked it out, Clayton? No, no, I didn't. Uh, not very clever of you. Well, here goes. Uh. You're learning to take orders readily, Captain. Come in here. Oh, I just happened to think. Quick, Father, give me that map. Uh, why, this? Uh, where did I... Uh, why, here it is. Daniel, you and Gates watch this door. Suddenly he feels himself lifted high in the air. Another moment, 
and he finds himself safe on the broad back of Cantor the elephant. Cantor, his friend, despite his aching head, Tarzan gives a fall of triumph. Cantor, the great beast of the jungle, whom even Sabor fears, hears the call of his friend. The wise beast knows that all is well with the white ape upon his back. Tantor is happy too, but Tarzan is dearer to Tantor than all else in the world. A strange jungle friendship, as strong as it is odd. Tantor throws back his great trunk and trumpets to tell the fastest of the whole forest and its citizens that the mighty Tantor and his friend Tarzan are passing on their way. Let all beware. Tarzan feels himself all over gingerly and then shrugs. Nearness to death is life, not adventure in the jungle. Guiding Tantor by kicking him behind the ear, Tarzan directs the great beast from the seashore and his cabin. Tantor sways along his way at a speed which is almost unbelievable for so clumsy an appearance, tearing up trees and brush which impede his way. Then Tarzan hears the beating of the surf, and in a few minutes they come out of the jungle onto the beach. A strip of white sand, a sea of darkness divided by golden bands. Tarzan looks down the path of the moon on the water. He gasps. A boat. That means men. Tarzan the ape thrills. Because he sees in them that which he most wants to be. Man. Tarzan the man. Tarzan of the Apes was written by Edgar Rice Burroughs in 1914. The novel told the story of an English noble family stranded on the African continent. Gorillas kill the mother and father, leaving their son, Lord Greystroke, to be raised by apes. The radio program aired from 1932 to 1936, then a new series ran from 1951 to 1953. Burroughs himself was involved with the early Tarzan radio episodes. In those early episodes, Burroughs' daughter, Joan, played Jane, and her husband, James Pierce, played Tarzan. Tarzan is considered to be the first major syndicated radio program. The radio program originally followed the novel, Tarzan of the Apes, but then moved on to do radio-specific adventures. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.